0: We're facing a lot of economic headwaters for anybody that's in the VC space. Can I go survive and do better? Can I thrive in an environment where it's really hard to get by right now? It's a new challenge. And that's what we're seeing right now. Not just with task and purpose, but the media industry across the board is like, hey, only the strong are going to survive this. It is tough times in the media business right now. And so what I'm kind of looking at is like, hey, can I come into this and be the guy that helps pull through to the other side? I'm not saying I am the guy. I'm saying I want to see if I am.
1: My name is Kerry Kite. I'm an Air Force veteran and a writer, filmmaker, and entrepreneur. Day to day, I produce advertising content for a creative agency in New York City. Through this podcast, I'm turning my passion into practice. I separated from the Air Force in 2010, and since that time, through using the post-9-11 GI Bill to go to college, working hourly jobs to pay the bills, and freelancing my way into a career, I've studied what it takes to successfully transition from service to civilian, and that study has become a conversation. On this podcast, I speak to other veterans, successful artists, and entrepreneurs about their transition, what they did well, where they failed, what they learned, and most importantly, how they applied their skills. Episode 40 features Marty Scovelin Jr., a former Army Ranger, a journalist, and a filmmaker. He founded both Havoc Journal and Coffee or Dime magazine, and he is now the editor-in-chief at Task and Purpose. We talked about mastering the art of transition. Welcome. This is Veteran Made. Um all right Marty Scovelin Jr welcome to Veteran Made good afternoon
0: thanks for having me on Yeah man super super I'm stoked to have, have you line this up for a minute now this What's been, that This has been a while in the making we've been trying to line this up for a while now For sure and the last I was going to say it's actually the last time we
1: spoke I believe was was right before covid um That's or funny. like maybe right as covid was 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 unfolding um mm-hmm. you when you were at uh at coffee or die doing some of the NASCAR stuff. I think I had reached out because I was doing stuff with NASCAR. And so we, we chatted and, and talked about potentially doing some stuff together. And then the entire world shut down. I think you were in maybe Guatemala or one of those trips that you were on.
0: Um, and it, like, uh, COVID and... is like the, the, like that that time, that timeframe is like BC and AD, you know, there's like before <laughs> really COVID and then after COVID. Uh, so it's just like this, like real line in the sand of like, you know, yeah, I just, everything changed at that point. I actually, I remember I was down in Yuma, Arizona at the, um, uh, special forces free fall school. And it was that week that I was down there. It was like my last day of co- coverage down there was a Friday. It was that Friday that like the president came on and like announced a national emergency, like all of that. And like, like, you know, that was like that real like line in the sand of like, you know, everybody had heard about this COVID thing leading up to that. But that was the real like, okay, that's right at the time that like everything kind of changed. And I remember there were two uh, Marines um, in the free fall jump master course that were there who were from, uh, who were stationed in Japan. One of them had a pregnant wife that was doing like like oh my weeks. gosh And basically they were told like, hey, either you get, because like Japan was like shutting down. Like didn't matter if you were in the US military or not. Like either you're here or you're not going to get in for like, you know, or to be determined, uh, amount of time. And so those guys had to do all of their testing for the jump master, uh, for their, like their, their exit test to graduate the free fall jump master course in like one day they had to yeah. do everything and then get on a plane immediately and fly to Japan. And in the one guy's case, like if he didn't do it, like he wasn't going to see his kid get born. Like, yeah, it just absolutely wild. So that was my kind of last hurrah before being uh, stuck at home for months. Yeah, that's why we that that same Friday while you were
1: doing that was my first day at my at the my day job, the job that I have now working at the uh, at the agency that I'm at and uh, I I remember uh the I like misread the the uh meeting invite and I so I texted my my boss and I'm like, "Hey man, I'm gonna be about 15 minutes late, and he goes, "Oh shit, I forgot to tell you. Uh, it looks like the whole world is just working from home now. So here's your Zoom login. Turn around." And yeah. we were in Bushwick, Brooklyn at the time, so it was like we went back to our shoebox apartment and then drove up to Ohio and and wrote it out for, for a while there. But um, but yeah, yeah. No, this has been a, a, a long time, a long time uh, coming, and, and in the making. We have we've we have you know mutual friends. Adam Linehan is, is who we initially got um, connected through, and then
0: um, and obviously I didn't we realize, realize that that was our mutual connection. That's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love Adam. Like, Adam, yeah, yeah that's, the best. that's amazing. I did not realize that that was our mutual connection.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so we both know Adam and then... um I think he initially connected us three years ago. And then obviously now I've, I've, I've interviewed, you know, a, a swath of dead reckoning um, authors and looking to try to, to, you know, like I'm building a collection of action figures or something like that. Like I'm going to put them behind me. Like every author, you know, is is getting on there and you've obviously worked with those guys and, and, and written some um, forwards and all that stuff. So it's cool. It's cool that we're, uh, that we're connecting here. And um, I'm excited to talk to you about your, your, uh, your new, your new venture and um, adventure as well as you, as you, um, have moved over to task and purpose. So for, for folks that don't know, would love to just give them a primer on, on, on who you are, um, kind of, you know, quickly kind of where you served and, and, and what you've been up to and then we'll, we'll jump right in.
0: Yeah. Um, do you want me to give that primer? Or are you going to give that primer?
1: No, you go for it.
0: Okay, Tell us yep. who you are. Yeah. Um, the primer on Marty Skolland Jr. is, uh, that he, uh, uh, graduated high school and immediately went to basic training. Um, he got shot in basic training and then I'm just going to stay with the third person if that's okay with you. Feels a great. Adventure. I mean, for, um, for the intro, hopefully not for the whole episode, but no, not the whole episode. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, got shot in basic training. So he got sent home, uh, and, and then came back, had a great summer, uh, you know, um, and then came back and then went to airborne school, uh, got food poisoning, had to restart airborne school, and then, uh, made it to the Ranger, uh, indoctrination program, uh, cousin died had to go home for that start into the new one and then right at the end of that course fell off the fast rope tower broke a bunch of mm-hmm. bone like fractured a bunch of bones and stuff like that made it to first ranger battalion i was there for five years um i did three deployments to iraq two to afghanistan and then i actually did a stint as a recruiter um meant for that to kind of be a segue uh, like a break um before some other things that i wanted to do uh, in the military but that was actually kind of where i discovered uh oh i'm like not terrible at rearranging words in a way that people like to consume them and uh so that kind of led me to getting out of the military um uh had a small business for a while um a lot of people maybe i don't know if it's a lot of people but people may be uh familiar with like the havoc journal so i started that and that was mm-hmm. kind of my first like blog that i started um And uh, we put out a book called uh, Violence of Action. Uh, We did some, produced some short films and some documentaries, some exciting things. And that kind of led me all up into, uh, at a certain point, my wife and I decided to move into a van and just travel the country while I got my, like, at that point, I wanted to leave the business behind and just go full on into reporting and journalism and all that sort of stuff. So we traveled the country with our one-year-old and our dog in a 96 Ford Econoline line. And, uh, um, while doing that, that kind of, you know, I, like I said, I really dove into the journalism world, came out that on the other side, um, had to go back to South Dakota to, this isn't a primer at this point. This is a full on Wikipedia. Great. We're into it. Um, Let's do it. At that point, I, uh, you know, towards the end of that trip, found out that my dad was dying of ALS. So we moved back to South Dakota to help uh, with that. And during that time, I ended up going up to Standing Rock to cover that protest. That was my first real, like conflict reporting like on the ground in kind of a somewhat of a hairy situation uh doing that and that was really what launched what i think probably anybody that knows who i am or uh or knows what i'm known for doing now that was like the first of that you know um and i you know during that time also co-hosted a history channel show and did some things like that and um Yeah, uh, that was, you know, ended up going to Afghanistan for task and purpose. Um, I was freelancing for them at the time, and I think I ended up becoming their first uh, reporter to go and and embed in a combat uh, area, um, combat zone, Um, and then kind of came back from that. And it was just a few months later where uh, Evan Hafer called me and was like, hey, let's get something going here. And so I took that and uh, came on board and again, immediately went back to Afghanistan um uh, as a way to like launch this new platform which would end up be end up becoming uh called coffee or die magazine and that was kind of the next five years of my life kind of went all over the world uh afghanistan iraq ukraine all over europe central america uh training courses and, and things like that across the united states like getting that going by the time i left uh you know i had you know coffee or die magazine we'd launched free range american and then also had a blog you know Started off as just me and then me and uh, uh, Katie McCarthy, who was I brought over from Guns and Ammo. And then by the time I left, we had like 30 people and reaching millions of people via word, uh, the written word, as well as a video. I mean, just an incredible experience. And then last fall, I uh, took a job offer to come over as the editor-in-chief of Task and Purpose. And that's what I'm doing now. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I awesome. A lot of a timer and I didn't, I couldn't even cool. stay in third person the entire time. I know. And it's wild. The episode's over. We're done. It was We're, great. Thanks for it. coming on. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of So a lot of mysteries I want to let kind of hang in the air there um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that maybe we can, we can come back and, and, and revisit another time. But uh, obviously with, with uh, coffee or die magazine and, and free range American, um, you know, get a huge in our community uh, for the last, a uh, few years several years i guess now at this point um you know matt Smythe has been on on the podcast who i know that uh, you worked with um, over at free range american apologies for the the little dog that's that's barking downstairs i i left the uh, clicker that that we're training him with downstairs so um hopefully it's not too bad um but um but yeah so i mean i'd love to 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 kind of talk about what the transition has been like from from coffee or die uh, over to Back over to Task and Purpose, and and obviously in a very official capacity now. And you've written some things about what Task and Purpose is, is going to be yeah. doing under your your leadership and stewardship here moving forward. So, um, I guess I'd like to start with kind of the first question: is is w- w- what was it like to say goodbye to something that you that you started, that you helped start, that you developed from the ground up, from from nothing, with with Coffee or Die and and free range American. Most people don't even get the opportunity to, to, to do that, let alone see it through successfully. And then, and, and then and be able to leave it in a good place. So can you talk us, talk us through what, what, what that process was, was like, and, and
0: kind of how, how you felt? Yeah, it was terrible. Um, <laughs> like really heartbreaking. Uh, like uh, it, it, it's one of those things where, yeah, it was like saying goodbye to one of your kids, you know, like it, it really, I, I I put everything that I had into building that for the last, you know, five years or so. Um, like really, everything that I had. Some of my closest friends in the world. Uh, there, like it. It really was. It, it was hard, you know. And and despite how you know excited I was to to you know take on a new challenge at Task and Purpose, it was you know, geez, I I don't know, like, I've never been divorced, but I imagine, and I don't mean to put it in that negative connotation. I'm still friends with everybody over there. But it kind of felt like that, that like grieving process, you know, where you there's some days that you really question whether you made the right decision or not. And, and you, you know, wonder, like, you know, just all these things, like you question yourself, you're, you're kind of sad, and then you're happy. There is, like, it's that entire gamut of human emotion that you go through. And, Um, but ultimately like, that's, I I think that that's what you arrive at is that that's what life is, right? Like life is a series of those evolutions that you have to work your way through. And, um, you know, that was just like, I remember when I came, when I was, you know, at task and purpose before coming over to black rifle, there was kind of an expectation, you know, I had just come back from an embed over there. There was kind of an expectation that I was going to become a, you know, bigger and bigger part of, of that. And you know, and but there was that opportunity, you know, when Evan Hafer calls you and is like, Hey, dude, I need you to come and, and start something. Um, it just felt like, you know, a great opportunity, you know, and uh, fortunately, you know, it, you, you never know how things are going to work out. And I come back to task and purpose now, and it's like, Hey, a couple of guys that were there back then are still there right now. It's under new ownership, but the owner back then, Zach Giskel, is still a dear friend. You know, and, and, and I think that that's the nice thing about as you go through these transitions, these career evolutions, and they might be tough. Um, but it's just kind of, you know, it, it's what you have to do. I think I think very few people are fortunate enough to stay at the same place like their entire career, you know?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, that's uh, one of the things I was going to say is that this is kind of the intersection of a lot of different things that is true of, of our generation that wasn't true of previous generations, right? You've got Freelance and full time, you've got bouncing back and forth. You've got you know uh, a community of of people and publications kind of within that space where they're not really direct competitors, but they are kind of competitors. But you know the same talent is used, and we all like each other. You know we all respect each other. We're all you know trying to trying to tell the stories that matter to us and and to to, to help our community. And all those things. So there's there's that element of it, and then there's also. And I've used this anecdote before, but, you know, Ernst & Young is one of my dad's biggest clients and has been a client my entire life. He's 70 now. And so I, you know, have connected with people now that I've been a, you know, now that I'm a 35-year-old professional, I, I connect with some of these guys on on LinkedIn that I've known since I was four or five. And they have one bullet point on their LinkedIn. They have college and then they have, you know, Ernst & Young or, you know, whatever these big firms are. And and, and those of us that served in the military and didn't do a full career, um, and, and separated rather than retired and then kind of jumped from job to job. Like that, that's something that's true of, of, of our generation, of the GWAC generation, that it wasn't true of the previous wars generations because it was, you know, either get drafted or, or enlist and, and commission, go serve, come home, you know, work at a factory or work at a corporation for the rest of your career, retire, and that's it. And so you're kind of living this, this um, like a mixed media <laughs> approach of, of this, this new style of, of, and way of working.
0: It's funny that you bring that up, because literally just this morning, uh, I had a conversation. I won't out who it was, but uh, a conversation with somebody a little bit older than me and, um, you know, kind of wanting career advice, uh, basically. And I was, you know, I I won't regurgitate the entire conversation, but we kind of got at what you were just talking about there, where, you know, she said, like, you know, it didn't used to be like this, where you had to, like, move around to, to, to kind of like progress your career. And I was like, yeah, I I think that change actually happened not to get like nerd out too much here, but when, um, kind of the business norm shifted from, uh, you know, a retirement account that, that a company would fund to just doing 401k matches, you now all of a sudden, all of a sudden de-incentivized like company loyalty and a lot of times it's better for both the company and the individual to be able to move around. Like the company can continue to get like cheaper and cheaper labor for that same, uh, position. Um, where if you stay in that, you're kind of stagnating, but, uh, so then it's good for the, the employee potentially to jump around and, and take that, you know, take that next higher job that opens up at a different company or, or whatever it may be. And, um, uh, and that's not exactly what happened with me with uh, with Black Rifle or Coffee or Die. Um, but I will say that that's I think that's the thing that a lot of people face now is is it's not like it used to be. It's You're not going to stay at the same company for 20, 30 years anymore. It's just not built that way anymore. In fact, if you want to move up, it's actually, I think, better to have more things on your resume, more things in your toolkit that says, hey, I've worked at X, Y, and Z companies. And so... I I understand what works in different systems I'm able to draw from multiple different places right it's like if you play for a couple of different NFL teams now you've been exposed to multiple playbooks you have more to draw from and I, so I think it's actually better for everybody involved but it is a shift especially if you're you know like you know I'm I'm in the I think mid range of like a millennial right um and uh or maybe maybe I'm an older millennial act. I don't know. I forget what the years are. But like for like those the generation before us, the Gen Xers and, and older, it was like they were raised where you get hired at a company and you stay there for your entire career and you retire someday and you get a plaque and a birthday cake in the in the fucking break room and and like that's what it is. And so I think for some folks that are a little bit older. I think if you're a millennial or you're a Gen Z or something like that, you just understand that is the market. Like you understand that you're not going to stay at the same place forever. In most cases, right? I'm sure there's exceptions, but in most cases, you're not going to stay in the same place. Older folks, I think it's like it's a hard thing to wrap your head around that. Like, wait, you're saying that the that I'm just like I have to constantly be on my toes for the rest of my life? Yeah, you kind of do. Yeah.
1: No that's right with with w- it's it's kind of like a, a version of that Spider-Man
0: quote right it's like with 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 this freedom
1: comes great responsibility that you have to and this is the thesis of this podcast right it's like you are responsible for the for your own transitions the, yep. the 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 DOD and a corporation is not responsible for your transition and it's not just one transition i've learned i started this podcast like okay let's talk about the transition the transition from civil from, from service to civilian. And I'm like, holy shit, there's like a thousand transitions that we've all gone through from graduating high school, getting into boot camp, and then and then now back on the other side of this. And then transitioning
0: again and again and again as you jump from job to job. Well, and like so a series of transitions, if you right. can master how to transition, you're, you're so much better off because guess what? You're going to have to do it over and over again. And so if you've got a playbook that works for you, and I think it's a little bit different for everybody, but if you've got that playbook, you're going to be able to apply that. Over and over and over again because that's all life is. It's just transition. That's right.
1: You navigate. That's right. It. Yeah, and the, the NFL, the NFL veteran example is actually a really good one because, the, and then that's a, another part of this this podcast and the community that we're in that that, that we share and that we're a part of is like okay. What have I learned? What have you learned? What did Marty learn? You know, what did Evan learn? Like, what what can we what can we learn from each other? What worked over there for that person's transition? What can I pull from that that might work for me? That's not going to work, but this and kind of plug and play and and iterate over time instead of just being like, okay, I'm going to do it this way and then I'm and I'm going to hopefully be done. You know, um, it just it just doesn't work that way. So um, yeah. So what made you uh, what what made you want to make the the leap from um from Coffee or Diet to, to Task and Purpose. What what attracted you to the opportunity?
0: Yeah, I, I think that overall it was, um, I think that I probably uh, reached kind of a little bit of a ceiling with what I was going to be able to do at Black Rifle. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that to continue to progress over there, I would have needed to move, move out to Salt Lake City. Um, and, you know, that was, that makes sense, right? Like I was already at like a fairly... I think a fairly senior level within the company. And I think to go any higher uh, on that rung, it's like, you really need to be in person, you know? And um, so I think for me, it was starting to look at like, okay, I, you know, we're kind of settled out here in New Hampshire. At this point, I'm not really looking to, my wife and I did a series of cross-country moves as I was getting myself established. And, And now we're at a point where, I don't think that it it just, it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to do another move at this point um, where our kids are at in school and all that. Like, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And so it was, you know, like I said, still very familiar with a lot of the folks at task and and task and purpose is owned by recurrent ventures now. Right. So it's under different ownership than when I last was freelancing for them. And it, you know, they they were doing some exciting things and it was like, okay, if I want to continue to progress, um, I think I, you know, going from like one editor in chief role to another editor in chief, it's a little bit of a lateral move, but it was a different company that was entirely remote based and there wasn't really any ceiling. Uh, you know what I mean? And there's a lot of things that you could do, um, uh, you know, in a company that is solely focused on media alone. Um, so I wasn't, you know, it, it was just, it was another place where it was like, you know what, I think I can go over here and take everything I've learned and, uh, and I, I think make some waves, you know, um, uh, new set of people, new challenges. Um, and especially, you know, it being owned by, you know, uh, VC firms. Well, we're in, uh, we're facing a lot of economic headwaters for anybody that's in the VC space. And so it's like this new challenge of like, hey, can I go survive and be- do better? Like, can I thrive in an environment where it's really hard to get by right now? Like it's a it's a new challenge. And that's what we're seeing right now, not just with task and purpose, but the media industry across the board is like, hey, only the strong are gonna survive this. You know, you see like BuzzFeed went public, uh, was that a year or two ago? They they opened at ten dollars a share, they're down to a dollar a share right now. Like there's Vice was about to go public now, and they had a five billion dollar valuation. They're now trying to get acquired for, I think it's like 500 million, according to some, like that's a 90%. Like there, it is, it is tough times in the media business right now. And so what I'm kind of looking at is like, Hey, can I come into this and be the guy that like helps pull through to the other side? Am I the, am I the guy that can figure out what the next generation of media, uh, of the media business looks like? And and that sounds like super grandiose and super, like almost like egotistical. I'm not saying I am the guy. I'm saying I want to see if I am. I want to see yeah. if I, you know, am I the person that can thrive in that environment, get through these kind of economic headwaters, and and go from there. And you know, um, Black Rifle Coffee, they've got their own headwaters and stuff, but they're and you know, they're they're a coffee company first. It's crazy right. that we were able to build what we did with Coffee or Die magazine, this thing that was like doing frontline reporting around the world. Like it's insane that we were able to do that within a coffee company. But um, at the end of the day that's it's, it's a slightly different environment right um and i you know frankly and i and here's where i will be egotistical i think i can thrive in either environment i really do but for right now it's it's just like it felt like a natural trip like i said the other one this one i don't have to move and the other one it was like if i wanted to keep moving up i would probably need to relocate i don't want to do that yeah no that's you know, great I mean, to have that that's a long-winded way to be like no <laughs>
1: it no it's great i love it it's it, the context is important um what what is uh what what's the mindset that you're bringing it's you know i can i can hear the excitement i can hear the passion i can hear the belief what's the mindset that you're bringing what are the techniques um that you're going to bring to to address this challenge these series of challenges in this in this new environment and and, and contextually i'm interested in you know the 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 the, the drawdowns in Iraq and Afghanistan have happened. The GWAT is still happening, will probably always be happening in some form or fashion. Um, but the the kind of bulk of that 20 years of of service that our generation um served in is is over. Um, and we're looking at, you know, a new uh landscape geopolitically from a national security standpoint, and obviously task and purpose focuses on Military community. So, I'm interested kind of from that angle. And then I'm also just interested from the business angle like, what do you think you're going to bring and and what mindset and techniques are you going to bring to bear on the challenges that that you
0: mentioned? I think that the number one thing that uh, has to be the focus is that you are putting the reader first in every bit of coverage that you do. And when I talk about the reader, I'm also talking about the same community that we report on, right? Like, we report about and for the U.S. military and veteran communities, right? And and so you have to put those people and their needs first. What type of information do, do, do they need? What kind of news do they need? And what kind of stories do they want to read? Do they want to view? That sort of thing. Not what is going to elevate my profile as a journalist. Not what is going to win me awards. Not what is going to get me, like, uh, likes or retweets or shares on any sort of social media platform, but what is best for our reader uh, uh, and, and our community that we are serving um, via this publication. And that is top of mind for me. And that, that, that extends into the business side, right? Because, not only is it just how we go about our reporting and storytelling and all that sort of stuff, but it's also how we're delivering it for you. Like, what, what is your preferred method of, of consumption of the news, of these stories? Like, is the user experience on the website good? Is, uh, you know, is the ad experience good? Is, you know, uh, like, are, are emails too much or not enough? Is our social media reaching you? Like, there's a lot of things that get into the business side of that when we think about, like, what is best for the, the reader? What is best for the consumer? And for me, that is, like, my guiding... Like North Star is keeping a really close finger on the pulse of of what our community wants, um, and and trying to serve that to them. And I think that if you do that, if you are able to understand and and uh, you know facilitate what people want, you like you you can go really far. You know, there's a ton of things that you can do if you are giving people what they want. And that doesn't mean pandering to people. I don't want that to be mistaken as like, I'm going to start pandering and just, you know, like only serving the news that a certain demographic, you know, politically or or one way or the other wants to hear. No, I'm talking about like, what, what are the topics that are most important and then delivering that in as unbiased a way as possible. I think anybody that's followed me for a while, I put a huge emphasis on trying to tell stories and report the news in an unbiased manner. Um, and that looks different to different people, and, and certainly if you were on like the fringes of one political side or another, uh, those folks tend to just be perpetually mad at me and anything that I report or tell a story about, you know. But, um, but I think that like if that's the case, you're probably doing something right, you know. So it's not necessarily trying to please everybody, but it's understanding what need they need filled, you know. And I don't know if that maybe that doesn't no. make sense, I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but like that's no, that. I- yeah, I think I think you are. I want to dive a little deeper. I'm
1: curious um, what I'm curious of the how, and I'm and I'm curious of the what too, right? And and who determines what the audience needs versus um, what they might want, right? And then what's interesting about our community too is that like. You know, there's a, a good cross section of political perspectives within our particular community that might not exist in other, you know, quote unquote, affinity groups. So it, it might make your job more difficult in some ways, but but also easier in some ways because there's kind of an open mindedness to having conversations um, within our community that doesn't exist in others. So who makes that determination, and, and what kind of what are, what are you doing to to um, to determine those and, and address it?
0: Well, I think as the editor in chief, I'm the one that makes that determination, mm-hmm. and where I determine that is by being constantly plugged into the community, you know, um, and it's you look at how much time I've spent out in the field over the past five, six years, embedded with the military around the world, from combat to training to award ceremonies to veterans events, things like that. Like I and and then continuing to do that, right? Like I I I think that any, especially in the military veteran space, uh, national security space, you have to put people on the ground, and you have to get out on the ground yourself. Um, that was like a huge priority at coffee or die, which was, we will be, you know, kind of follow that Ernie Pyle model and get out there, get in the foxhole, eat the same MRE, endure the same conditions and understand what's going on. And I'll, um, I'll use an example here. There's stories that you come across that you'll never come across. If you're just perpetually stuck behind your desk at your house or in your office, um, a good example of this, I went out on assignment to, uh, Key West, um, down at the Special Forces Combat Diver Qualification course. Now, because I'm not a diver myself, uh, it was a lot of me sitting on a boat with instructors while the students were subsurface uh, doing their thing, right? You spend a lot of hours just out on the water. Terrible job, right? Like, just go hang out on a boat all day in Key West. Yeah, right. Um, But (laughs) what was great about that is, like, obviously, I'm not grilling these guys All day, you know, it's not like a constant interview, you're kind of just hanging out after a certain point. And uh, that was one of those days, we're just hanging out and we're talking and and one of the instructors brought up uh, that, you know, they down in Key West, it's one of the highest cost of living places in the US. And they don't have a COLA adjustment in Key West, like their instructors and stuff. So a lot of these guys are working second jobs, or their wives are working two jobs, things like that. And it's fucking terrible. And, and that's when he thinks they weren't, it's not like these guys are telling me this because they want me to write some story about it. We just, you know, I'm a veteran. We come a lot, a lot of us have, are like one degree of separation. We all know the same people and you're just bullshitting at a certain point. And this comes up, you know, a so sudden, like, Oh, holy shit. Like this is something that's like material effect, materially affecting these guys' lives and their quality of life. I would have never known that if I wasn't out here on assignment. Do You know, like I said, quote unquote, sitting yeah. in the with these guys, that's sure. where I draw a lot of that. Like I get what matters to them because I spend so much time with them. And I think that's really important. So if you want to know where, like how we do this, it's I need to get people out on assignment as much as I possibly can.
1: Yeah. And, it, and it, it helps to be to be of the community. Right. And if you're creating content, whether it's whether it's objective journalistic content or, you know, um, persuasive marketing content or just entertaining content. Um, yep. it, it, hel- it helps that you're, that you're of the community, right? You look at the, you know, vets react videos. Like the reason that those are so popular is, is because people are like, Oh, there's credibility there. You know what I mean? So,
0: yeah, um, I mean, it's it's absolutely fail. If you put me in charge of like a, a music centric magazine, like, I don't know anything about music, you know, or like a, uh, LGBTQ, uh, magazine or something like that. Like I'm not from that community. I don't understand the right. nuances of the conversation there. And that's the thing, every affinity group, every demographic, every, you know, subculture has the nuances and the things like it, like you have to be a part of that community to understand that community. And for the military and veteran community, we see it all the time. We're, we're one of those communities that just by virtue of what we are, we end up being reported on by a lot of national news entities, right? Because war is like, it affects everybody, right? Like things like that. Um, But, you know, you see a lot of those news reports that go out, and this is where I think task and purpose, coffee or die, you know, military times, this is where we come in is, like we're the experts on our community. We have to be. So when these other places, they don't understand the difference between certain things and use them interchangeably. And to us, it's like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. Like you're completely changing the context of this entire story by making that mistake. Like that's where we come in. We have to have that. We, it takes somebody from that community to do this job. I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Along those lines, what, so the state of the state of, of media the state of journalism today like the the you know the uh, approval ratings so to speak aren't great for the mainstream media right um if you're looking at the big broadcast channels um and then their subsidiaries um their digital channels and all of that but then you also see like the young turks is doing really well over on the left and the daily wire is doing really well over there on the right and they kind of report to you know a political subset w- what 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 do you look at 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 your role at task and purpose and, and how do you fit into an ecosystem where trust is low um, in the profession at, at kind of a higher level, but at this more—and I don't mean higher level disrespectfully—I just mean like at the at the kind of like larger conglomerate conglomerate um, size—and and you're in a more targeted kind of like niche, almost a mega niche. How, how do you kind of approach that landscape, and and how are you and the and the reporters approaching that and and, and diving into? Uh, you know, reporting as objectively as you can, while also providing value to people who might not think there's value right now.
0: Um, That again, goes to getting out there and getting boots on the ground. It is a lot harder to, you know, it's easy to say, I don't trust this anonymous byline that I see that's telling me this information. You know what I mean? Whereas when I think a lot of people, when they read my stuff or other reporters stuff, it's like, oh, no, I like, I know Marty, like I hung out with Marty all day or all week on a training exercise. I know exactly where his head is at. And it gives context to the reporting, even if the outcome of my reporting isn't exactly what they thought before. It doesn't confirm their worldview. They're like, oh, no, Marty's a solid dude. I fucking hung out with him. Like, I, I understand that. Whereas if you're a reporter that is constantly behind your desk, never leaving your office, never getting out into the community, but just let's take this, let's treat task and purpose or any of these other military publications like your hometown newspaper, right? Like, can you imagine a hometown newspaper where you never met the reporters at the newspaper? They were never out at the Little League games. They were never at the town hall meetings. They were never... That's what we have right now across the journalism industry is a lot of people that never get out of their house or never get out of their, their office and nobody knows who they are. And that you, it's so much easier to breed distrust in, in those institutions when it's this shadowy organization, right? Think about the places that we distrust the most as Americans. It's like the NSA or like the CIA or something like that, right? Like because there are these shadowy things and I don't know anybody that's over there. Like, it's the same thing with reporting. If if, if, if you've never met these people before, um, then you know why would you trust them? You know, yeah. and so I think it's really, really important that people are out there, out on the ground, rubbing elbows um, and, and seeing this sort of thing. And the the reverse is true. If you're a shitty reporter, if you're a shitty person, that will all that process will also expose that. Right. And hopefully, you have a very short career if that's the case.
1: Yeah, it's it's like yeah, absolutely. Um okay, so I'd love to ask some craft questions because I'm I'm curious. So what 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 has been the what how have you adjusted and transitioned from from, you know, kind of strictly a boots on the ground reporter and writer? To an editor in chief, and and what 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 does that kind of job look like, and what's the balance, and how have you how have you personally transitioned? Like, I know there's aspects of this that you very much enjoy, but is there anything you miss about strictly reporting and writing, and like what's what's the what's what's it look like for you?
0: The real answer is I've been <laughs> up until I haven't been at task and purpose long enough yet, but the real answer is that I am terrible at being just a strictly an editor in chief. <laughs> right. Um. I, I definitely you know when I was at Coffee or Die even even as our, you know, organization grew and everything like that, I was still on a pretty regular basis getting out there, you know? Um, and so the answer is I haven't made that transition very well. Um, but I, what I will say is right now, you know, I haven't gone on assignment once since I've come over to task and purpose. I've been fully focused on just, you know, learning the new job, the new role, the new company, the people there. And there's a lot of work, uh, that needs to be done that is not reporting work from my perspective. Right. But for me, something that I love about, you know, yes, I love getting out there, being around people, but I also love building things. Right. And right now it's uh, we, we have some uh, things that need to be patched in the foundation. Right. Like I need to go in there and patch some of these things up, make sure we're on solid footing before we go out and try to get crazy with embeds and go- people going out on assignment and, and uh, expanding the publication again. And and so that's it's it's a different type of work, but also something that I'm, you know, look, man, I went from being like a fucking airborne ranger to being a recruiter, like talk about very different jobs, you know. Um, so it's not the first time I've ever done something where it's like kind of a dramatic shift, but there it's, it's different types of challenges, you know, and, and I, I know that it's adding to my own sort of professional development and growth. And I need to understand how some of these other facets of the business work. And, and ultimately my job as an editor in chief is to enable the reporters to go do their job to the best of their ability. And, uh, you know, I don't want to fail them in that. I, I really don't. And so my focus, it hasn't been a transition as far as like, oh man, I wish I was out on assignment right now. I'm still, you know, for the first time and probably ever, I've gone out of the country twice so far this year, not for work, you know, just straight up. Like I, I took a four day weekend to Austria and uh, me and my wife took a vacation to Spain uh, a couple of weeks ago. First time we've gotten away without the kids in like six years. Uh, Cause I was constantly gone when yeah. I was off your die for work that we just, we wanted to hang out at home before. Um, now it's kind of one of those things where it's like, Hey, we can go out and travel and have some adventures that, uh, you know, don't have anything to do with work. So that's kind of nice. You know, that that was a, uh, that was a super fun. That
1: was super fun to follow along on, on Instagram via, via the posts and feed and, um, and then your stories too. And it's funny because while you and your wife were doing that um, my, my wife and I had just started talking about like, yo, we need to do a vacation yeah. just the two. We only have what we have. We have one daughter and, and, uh, she's three and we really haven't done that in like four years since our, you know, kind of our delayed honeymoon, um, yeah. like a year or so before she was born. And so we were kind of talking and trying to figure out what to do. And then I was following along on your thing on Instagram and, it, you know, kind of similar, similar situation. And, um, it, so that, that was, that was fun to, fun to follow along with and gave me some ideas. Cause we've been looking at, we've been looking at Europe. So it might be, uh, might be a Spanish vacation for us, um, here soon, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think I think all of that makes sense. The, the, the thing you bring up, though, I think that's interesting, and it's something that's probably hard for for those of us that transition transition out of the military is once an executor, kind of always an executor. And so it's like if you want to execute the work and you want to do the work, but then you're put in a leadership position. And usually, when you're on teams in the military, you know whether it's in, in the in the Rangers or, or other special operations forces, or I was a you know flight line guy in the Air Force. I loaded bombs on F-15s we had a team of three, you know, I started as the three man, even when you make your way up to the one man of that crew, you're still doing the work. You're a little bit more responsible for, for the work that gets done and, and specifically for some of the safety issues when it comes to munitions and all of that, certainly, but you're still doing the work. And then you get into a more, you know, white collar job or more corporate like job, creative entertainment job, like, like media job that we're in. And it's like, Okay, well, now I just lead the team, but I don't get to do any of the work. The reason I got into this is because I like doing the fucking work. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And so, that, trying to figure out that balance between how do I lead my team? How do I lead other teams while still get, getting to do some of that work, but not taking that away from the people that, that work for me? Um, it, it's a tough balance.
0: I think that that's like a great segue too for me to kind of plug something. You know, I, although I'm not doing a lot of reporting right now, day to day. I'm, I've still been actively working on a book that I've been on for a couple of years now, and that's getting really close to, to being, we're just, wait. We, we should be getting the DOD pre-publication review back on it here any day. Um, But that's been a big sort of creative, like I'm still actively writing a lot. You're just not seeing it published every day because I'm working on some of these larger, longer term projects. So I think that that's, as we kind of unpack this a little bit, I think that's one of the things that maybe helped me a little bit too, is that like, yeah, maybe for my actual day job, I'm not doing a lot of the like day-to-day reporting or or some of that more creative work, but I'm still exercising that creative muscle for me. I don't feel like I'm completely out of the game. I've just shifted to a different part of it, you know? Um, So maybe that that helps.
1: No, it does. And uh, it is a good segue because that brings up something that, that is beneficial when you get to a certain level in an industry is you're afforded, certainly have more responsibility, but then that means you're afforded more freedom to pursue some of those other projects that might take a little bit, would have taken more time um, when you were younger because, because you're splitting time between this passion project or, or, you know, even if it's a revenue generating project, but just takes, takes longer, you know, you, you had to focus on working, you know, 40 to 60 hours a week just to get into the industry and kind of do the thing you wanted to do. But now that you're in, you know how to manage your time better, you're a little bit more efficient, and then you kinda of have the those opportunities to, to work on that. If the book is the book that I'm thinking, I mean, either way, we'll have you back on and talk about the book. I I think I know what, I don't know if you can say, but I think I know what yeah. the book is I, that
0: I mean tentatively titled Send Me, but it's the story it's of Shannon. yeah, Shannon Ken. Yeah. Um so yeah. she died in twenty nineteen in a suicide bomber attack in Syria. So yeah. co writing that book with her husband Joe, who's also a uh, you know, retired uh twenty plus years in special operations um so telling that story is yeah it's, it's pretty cool uh yeah i would uh, would
1: love to have have you back have you both both back on when when the book does get published you wrote the initial article in coffee or
0: die right about that i was that, one that, of the people that wrote Welcome. Okay. Um, yeah so so there was multiple stories that came out all around the same time uh the new york times had one the washington post had one stars and stripes had a really good one too Um, I think that, and then of course I wrote one too. I came down to the Memorial, um, at the Naval Academy and, and got to meet Joe and and the family a little bit. And, um, that's when I knew the story was like really special, you know? Um, but I think that the reason that I ended up being the one to like work on the book, uh, was Joe. And I think most of the family felt that my story best captured Shannon, uh, and who she was and what she cared about and all that sort of stuff. And so I think that that's how I ended up being. But yeah, I wrote one of the articles. I think it's still probably one of the better articles. I mean, again, somewhat unbiased, but sure. I think one of the better articles that really got to the truth of because the big thing that I did was I didn't look at her as like, hey, she was a, a female in special operations. I just looked at it as you are a she was, she was an elite at the elite level of special operations and did these groundbreaking things, not because she was a woman, because she was an excellent operator. Like she was doing some crazy stuff. And I, I think I just kind of approached it from that angle without any sort of like agenda about, um, you know, uh, and I think the book is a little bit different in that regard of where we really didn't need to call out like, Hey, it, you know, yes, she was an exceptional operator, uh, special operator and all that sort of stuff. But, like, also she did some groundbreaking stuff. Like, she was one of the first women to go through the Navy uh, direct support course. Like, the, the first time they allowed people to come into the teams that weren't SEALs, she was one of the first women to come. Like, that's, you know, some incredible stuff. So we definitely call attention to some of that. But um, but the article itself, though, was just like, hey, let's just tell a story. Like, we, I wrote the same story I would have wrote if it would had been a man that was... yeah. You know,
1: yeah, I I shared I shared that article around a ton, Um and then I remember you posted I think probably a year, year or so ago about getting yeah. ready to write the book, and I'm like, man, very excited to read that, and 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 um, we'll we'll chat more about that when when we have you back on and get Joe on as well, um yeah. to to talk about that. But so, um, so yeah, so I mean, the, the idea of like of of being able to kind of work on some of these other projects while you have these other responsibilities, I think is is a really important goal for people who want to be creative and get into a creative industry should think about right people will tend to say okay i want to get into this industry and i want to do like xyz it's like well you're not going to do xyz yet because you got to do abc first and then you got to go d3 you know all the way through and but you'll get to a spot where you can start to put these these passion projects or these longer form projects Into play in a way that you're able to efficiently use and maximize your time and give yourself the opportunity to scratch the different itches that you have. Like you're talking about, you know, that you love business and you're very entrepreneurial and you want to, you know, go kind of work on the foundation of the business side of task and purpose, which means you're probably uniquely suited for the job because you're interested in all aspects of it. And I think we tend to get a little bit too narrowly focused, especially on the creative side of things, right? Like, well, I want to be a video. Uh, I want to be a cinematographer. So I'm only going to focus on shooting video. It's like, well, well, it's 2023. So you got to be able to do more than just that number one. And then number two, everything else is going to inform your ability to do that thing that you love doing. So that can always remain your, your primary, uh, your focus, your, your main interest, the passion, the thing that you love doing the most, but all these other things should inform those things and put yourself in the best position to, to do those things.
0: Yeah. I think that there's, uh, I know it's it's almost like borderline cringy to like constantly make comparisons to CQB to like life lessons, but there's something about you know taking the path of least resistance when you're clearing through a building. I think that that same sort of ethos applies to life, where you know you might say like, "Hey, use your example. I want to be a cinematographer," but if you're getting opportunities in other places on a movie production, like. Don't say no. Take those. You're getting on set. You can make yeah. connections from there. You can you can hold, hey, I want to be a DP as like my my principal goal. Like, but like take the path of least resistance. Like go where people allow you. Like I wasn't trying to be a you know history channel host, but like, hey, it got me on a production. I got to see what a professional, non scripted production looked like. That 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 very much aided me as we were setting up a video program at Coke Coffee or Die, you know like understanding what that looked like at a professional level, like take the path of least resistance. Um, don't be, I'm not saying like, Hey, you want to be a cinematographer. So take a job in the accounting department. I'm not saying that necessarily, but don't be so stringent in your, in your aspirations to go different places that, I mean, just look at, I mean, I can use that example, even with black rifle coffee, if you're trying to be like a, heavy hitter journalists, like going to work for a coffee company doesn't exactly make sense on its face, but man, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now. Right. Well, there's a, there's a, a long range shooting instructor that
1: I've, I've worked with uh, who said you don't get credit for making it harder on yourself. Yeah. Yep. I think <laughs> like that's just very, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So I'd love to wrap things up here. It's kind of a question that I've been, I've been asking to end each episode here. Uh, is there anything in particular, we've covered a lot here, so forgive me if if, if this is in here, but um, is there anything in particular that's on your heart or on your mind for the community right now, um, something you want to draw attention to, maybe a piece of advice or something you just want to, to end this episode with?
0: Well, at the risk of sounding cliche, but like, hey, don't kill yourself. Let's, yeah. Like if there's something that's on my mind, it's we've had uh, just a... Uh, a, a kind of a series of high profile guys within the, the military and veteran community that have killed themselves lately. Um, most recently as a, like the other day, um, I, I, I'm not going to bring names into it right now, yep. but it, it, it's a problem. Like, don't kill yourself. Okay. Like just, I know that's easier said than done. And I sound like an asshole making it that simple because it's not that simple, but like, please like, don't do that. Like it's hard to do anything worthwhile if you're dead. So, uh, yeah. um, uh, I wrote a, uh, um, so I've been doing these daily thoughts, right. Like in an attempt to like, it's almost like micro journaling. Right. And I think mm-hmm. it's good for me. Um, but I said the other day that I think it's, uh, uh people, if you're the last to die of your loved ones, or your friends, um, you have to live with all of their deaths, you know, if you're the first to die, you have to live with none of them, none of the heartbreak, none of the grieving, none of it. Like if you're the first to go, you don't have to deal with any of that. And so I think it's almost like an act of selfless service just to be the last to live as long as you can. And and yeah. so if you're not living for you, at least live for the family members, the friends, the everybody else. It's just, it's an act of selfless service, not unlike what you did in the military or, or other uh, jobs, like just if, if not for you, for everybody else you know yeah. so put it that way so yeah Absolutely. i mean you frame it that way of like what's on my mind that that has definitely been on my mind uh lately.
1: yeah it's um that is unfortunately a great answer um and i'll underscore it you know um call somebody reach out dm do whatever do anything else um yeah. first right and then we'll 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 we're there for each other we'll we'll help um well, Marty, thank you so much for for joining. Where can uh, where can folks find you on on uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, Twitter, whatever social you're on, and um, and we'll, we'll link everything out in the show notes.
0: Yeah, well, of course, like please, please check out Task and Purpose. We've got a, a staff of reporters doing some excellent work, um, and and we're getting better every day. So, uh, you know, definitely check out Task and Purpose, both at the website and the social media platforms. <laughs> And then me personally, I would say I'm most active on Instagram. Um, I do have a presence on the other ones that is sporadic at best, but I would say I am actively on uh, Instagram and uh, having a lot of fun over there with my whole daily, daily thoughts. Thing. So
1: the daily, good. the daily thoughts are great. I've loved watching them go from um, go from just stories to getting posted in feed. And I've seen a lot of our mutual friends, you know, sharing them and resharing them, which is, which is really cool. And it's, it, it's great. It's fun to read along um, it's kind of some of the longer, longer form content. It's not super long form, but I I read all of them. You know, I read all the way through, which is not, um, not something that I do for, for everything. So it's, uh, it's, it's great. Well, listen, I I appreciate your time. I'll, I will, uh, I will, um, tag the hell out of you and task and purpose when we post all these little clips on Instagram and, um, and, um, get some traffic on.
0: Sounds great. Thanks for having me. All right, brother.
1: Thanks, man. We'll chat soon. Yep. Talk to you later.